because when we go to therapy, we think, yeah, we're failure. Something's really wrong with us. And really, in good therapy, you find out what's really right with you and that you really are being consistent. You may have some behaviors that are hurtful, but they were there with a good intention at some point in our lives. Problem is the circumstances changed and our belief system didn't. Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F-Word Podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F-word. Welcome back to the Most Hated F-Word podcast. I am pleased you are here for another week with another fascinating conversation. I'm honored to have Rick Kaler back on the show today. Before we get into this episode with Rick, I have a favor. If you have been enjoying the episodes or if you've enjoyed episodes before, please can you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Those reviews really do help as it helps us secure great guests like Rick and lets us know you're enjoying the content. So who is Rick? Rick is a wonderful and caring individual. He is the founder of Kaler Financial Group. His firm specializes in the integration of financial coaching, financial therapy, and traditional financial planning, attracting clients from all over the world. Rick started Kaler Financial Group in 1981. Yes, 1981, and became the first fee-only certified financial planner in South Dakota in 1983. Rick is a lifelong learner as he is, as I mentioned, a CFP, certified financial therapist, a certified transitionist, and recently he's a certified IFS practitioner. Much of what our conversation centers on today is his work in integrating IFS and financial therapy. Rick is the co-author of five phenomenal books. His most recent one is The Psychology of Financial Planning. Rick's work has been featured in nearly all the major financial publications, such as Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, Washington Post, and many, many others. I was excited to have Rick back on the show to talk about his new work where he's integrating IFS work and financial therapy. I heard him speak two different times at the Financial Therapy Association conference, and I found it extremely interesting. And I believe you will also find it very interesting and very informative. During this conversation, Rick shares with us how we can change our money scripts using IFS-informed financial therapy. We talk about how we can learn to heal the exiled parts of our money story and why applying more financial logic simply does not change our money behaviors. We talk about how we can all learn to talk to the parts of our money stories that want to be seen and heard and how we can use IFS informed financial therapy to live happy, healthy, and thriving lives. I really hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation with Rick Kaler.
Rick, welcome to the show. It's good to be here with you, Sean. It's good to have you back. Absolutely. So Rick, over the last couple of years, I've really gotten to observe your work and all that you've done. I always find it fascinating to hear when, whether it's on your podcast or a talk, I hear you talking that you've been doing this for four decades and just the wealth of knowledge you bring. I really feel honored to have you on my podcast for two times. So thank you so much for joining me and talking about IFS and financial therapy today. Yes. It's something I love to talk about. So I really appreciate you having me back. I thought we would start with a quote that I've heard you say several times and it's on your website. It won't catch you off guard, quote, you're familiar with it. The quote is, every seemingly illogic financial behavior makes perfect sense when we discover the underlying beliefs held by the exiles and protectors that motivate it. So I was adapted for your IFS work. The reason why I want to start with this is sometimes I hear people talk or say when they hear financial therapy or therapy, they get in a way defensive, be like, that's not me. I'm adequate. I don't need financial therapy. I don't need therapy. There's nothing wrong with me. So at times there's this defense mechanism we have when we hear certain terms like therapy. Can you expand on what I feel is a universal statement, your quote there, that almost makes this work more accessible when we come to realize that we all have these, so what you call illogical financial behaviors. I relate to that response to therapy because that's exactly what I felt <laughs> the first time I ever went to therapy. It's like, oh no, only really gimped up, broken people, failures go to therapy. And I remember asking therapists, you know, how long would this take? <laughs> One or two sessions, we, I needed to be fixed by then. There can be a stigma. I think that stigma has lessened a little bit over the years, but that there's got to be something wrong with you to go to therapy. And of course, I've done it so much. I have a completely different view of it for myself because I do therapy for myself every week. I've been a partaker of it for the better part of the last, I don't know, three decades of my life. So was it the one or two sessions? Yeah, yeah. One or two sessions about 4,000 times over. <laughs> well, the first time was one or two sessions and I quit. So it was a rocky start getting started. But the, the rocky patches in life can tend to lead us to therapy. I, I don't think anybody wakes up and says, oh, wow, great day. You know what? I've never done therapy before. <laughs> I think I'll go get a therapist and do therapy. It's not that way with a financial planner, is it? Nobody wakes up and says, oh, man, I don't have a financial planner. Huh, I wonder how that would be. I think I'll go find one. It's some life event, some intervention that leads us to go, wow, things aren't working out well. And uh, a call both to a financial planner or a therapist can be very, very hard call to make. There's just a lot of fear and the unknown around that in making that call. But at some point in time, we can make that call. And so for me, therapy has, has really been more about how can I live life as full as I possibly can? How can I try and get every ounce out of this thing called life? That's quite a, a, a different view of it. I'm asked a lot, well, how do you know when you, when financial therapy will be helpful? Yeah, I say it's whenever you're stuck. You're stuck around making a decision, stuck around a financial decision. You're stuck on a guardian for your kids and your will, so it's not getting done. You're stuck on 
asset allocation because you want to keep everything in a money market account. You're stuck on saving. You're stuck on frugality. You know, we can get stuck on so many things. All of these are opportunities to take a look at what emotionally is keeping us stuck because it's not about the money. So the quote that she said, you know, that every financial behavior, no matter how illogical it is to you or other people makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying belief system or in IFS, the beliefs of the uh, various parts of ourselves. And in IFS, we call those parts exiles and protectors. It does. When we get down to the root of it, it all makes sense. I have never had a case or a client that had this illogical financial behavior that was illogical when we understood what the belief system. So that can help people. We call normalize it, but realize that they're not terminally unique or screwed up or anything. To some degree, we all have this going on. And that's so important because when we go to therapy, we think, yeah, we're failure. Something's really wrong with us. And really, in in good therapy, you find out what's really right with you and that you really are being consistent. But you may have some behaviors that are hurtful, but they were there with a good intention at some point in our lives. Problem is the circumstances changed and our belief system didn't. Once we discover those and start working with them, it can just re-up a person to actually have permanent behavioral change. Thank you for that. I mean, so many insightful comments there. And that last one, when you even heard the inflection of your voice go up when you said free up somebody. And I think that's what a lot of this work is around is freeing us up from those belief systems or those unconscious parts of us who might be having negative talk despite we don't really know that they're having them. So I think that I really hear what you're saying is it's okay (laughs) to have these illogical decisions that seem like it because once we investigate, they make perfect sense. And I think to use your word, that really normalizes all of this so that I think it tenders the approach to therapy, financial therapy for others to consider it. I want to go specifically now to this IFS, so inner family systems, internal family systems. I understand you were at a conference And you were set to go to a certain workshop. And then at the last minute, I believe I got this right. You made a decision to go to Dick Schwartz's workshop on IFS. If you can go back to that time, what was it that called you to make that decision to switch workshops? What about IFS was calling Rick in that moment? So I had signed up to do a week-long workshop at the Esalen Institute in California with Bessel van der Kolk. And he's like, one of the world top specialists on trauma. Mm-hmm. It's not like many people are leaving his workshop. So that's what I found uh, quite fascinating <laughs> that something must have been there. Yeah. So he was doing a weekend before his workshop. And Esalen is a, a fantastic place. And I thought, well, I'll go out and catch him for this workshop. And he, he's talking with some guy I never heard of. And I really didn't care who it was. I was there for Bessel, right? guy by the name of Dick Schwartz. They got kind of co-teaching, giving a a little sample of their worldviews and things. And this talk about about parts of ourselves. I mean, this is weird stuff. 
Bessel's talking about what he does, what she calls structures. He does kind of a group therapy, kind of a mixture or halfway between psychodrama and sculpting for anybody that's familiar with that. And I've had a lot of that. I was raised in that, in group therapy on psychodrama and sculpting. He calls them structures. As they talked, they had one area of disagreement. They're friends, but they really went around on this. And Bessel's view is that if you're traumatized, you have no clue what non-traumatic behavior looks like. You have no clue what a healthy behavior is. And you, you've got to have some mirroring, some, some parenting in group. You've got to have some examples and experience what a good decision-making or, or a healthy behavior is. Dick's position is, and I best, their position is every person has self-energy with a capital S that knows what to do, that is wise and is calm, curious, compassionate, connected, confident, has courage, clarity, creativity. They call mate C's. And this energy is in everybody, but it often gets covered up by these wounded parts of ourselves. And so as we work with these parts, we can get them to start giving space to this self-energy, self-led. So that's kind of core to IFS. Oh, Basil says that's garbage. (laughs) No way. Dick says, well, tell that to the tens of the thousands of people that have work through their trauma with IFS, that it tell them it doesn't work. As they talked, I'm just really drawn to what is this thing that Schwartz guy's talking about? So I decided, you know what? This is different. I think I'd rather, I know what Bessel's doing. I think I'd rather switch. So I went to Bessel and asked him if I could switch. Ben, you okay. And Dick was like, yeah, sure. You, you can switch. So I made the switch. And it was so funny for the whole week, Bessel would see me and he would say, well, I really wish you hadn't switched because I really needed your male energy in the groups. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm doing him justice. It, but I believe he's from the Netherlands. Yes. That's, yes. Uh, great guy. The second day in this group, one of my issues was in doing 25 years at that time of group therapy, I had a real hard time getting to my sadness, getting to tears in a group. And I would feel self-conscious. And it's not always that way, but I just felt that there was this uh, pool of sadness in me that just wasn't out. So the second day, Dick throws out uh, playing cards and does a demo every day with somebody. And whoever has the highest card wins the demo, right? The second day, I draw the ace of spades. It's all over. That's the highest card yeah. there is. So I do a demo. My first experience with IFS is with Dick Schwartz, founder. I'm in front of 35 people that I don't know. I sobbed like a baby for 30 minutes. And I remember hearing other people in the room sobbing. And I don't like one-on-one therapy. I never got much out of one-on-one therapy. Group therapy, yeah, I think that was great. I got a lot out of group. Everything was stacked against me enjoying this. And I can't say enjoying is probably the right word, but um, getting really real benefit. And I was in that moment, I, I said, wow, 
there is something to this. And I signed up with a uh, IFS practitioner that, that was there. And I still work to her with her to this day every week. I have six weeks or six years. So I want to emphasize that I, I got into IFS for myself. I had no intention, zero intention of ever using this professionally. I didn't even want to be a financial therapist. And I'm considered one of the co-founders of financial therapy. I would do financial therapy with a therapist. I'd work with a therapist with the client, but I did not want to sit in the therapy seat. I think that's kind of a good thing because I was never trained, right? I don't have a master's in therapy. I'd been doing this for four years before I even got some training. And again, just for myself, I've done eight trainings in the Enneagram and did those just for myself, not to train the Enneagram. And it wasn't until the last week of the initial training that I got hit with this thought. I wonder if this could be applied to financial problems. I wonder if this could be applied to money scripts that parts of us carry. That was in uh, July of 2020. 2020. Okay. I just appreciate your curiosity so much. You don't sound like you're attached to these outcomes and things just start to, I guess you, you experience things and then you come up with this realization your last week that, hey, this could be applied to our financial lives. I would like to go into further detail around the financial lives. As we move into that section, can you outline, we've been talking in and around IFS, but maybe because what I understand from Dick Schwartz is that his background was big in systems thinking. And from what I understand is to that point, the parts have not been looked at a, a system relationship before. And maybe just touch on the significance of looking at the parts in a system. And then we've touched on the exile, but also could we just hear the, the main parts, the names that, we've, or that have been given? Main players? Yeah, so Dick Schwartz was a family systems therapist. He once said that he was out to prove that family systems was the be-all, end-all of therapy. And so that basically just says there's not one person in a family that's the problem, that if we, quote, heal that person, every, everything's okay. Everybody in the system is contributing to how others are showing up. So if you have a, the black sheep of the family, they didn't get there on their own. They got there because of all the dynamics. And if you're familiar with the alcoholic family and the 13 characteristics of an alcoholic, adult child of an alcoholic, you can understand that this system, there's all sorts of players in the system. And he would work with families. And then he started working with individuals. And he noticed that the individuals will talk about a part of themselves, a part of this and part of that. As I understand it, family systems theory systems uh, therapy is about the here and now, what's happening right now, that it often doesn't get into the past. And he said his clients started talking, they would talk about the past. So he just kind of went with this and like, well, okay, let's talk to this part of yourself. And if you're familiar with the empty chair in Gestalt came up with this, it's where, you know, we use it with money. Like, okay, you set up two chairs and I want you to pretend money is in the chair across from you, what would you like to say to money? So you say it, now switch, you go to the chair, now you respond as money. Now switch, now you respond to what that response was. And this is the technique that Dick used early on in talking to a part. Oh, well, of this part, what would you like to say to this part? Switch, what would this part like to say to you? 
Finally, he said, one day your client said, do I have to do all this switching around? Can I just do this in my head? Okay. He would say he didn't develop the theory that his clients taught him how these internal parts of themselves were just like an external family. You had parts that paired up together. You had parts that were polarized from one another. You have parts that criticize those. You have all these parts and all this interior dynamic going on with these sub-personalities. And so he just flipped it and called it internal family systems. So it's been around for 40 years. It's not new. And yet right now you can't get into a training because it's the hottest thing in the mental health professions is getting trained. Uh, So I was really lucky in 2020 that I went to London to get trained. So some of the tenets of IFS, IFS would say all the parts started out pretty equal. Parts have roles and things that they do. You know, I have a part that's kind of in charge of my health and I have a financial part. I think I've come up so far with around 65 parts of myself. And what happens is typically in youth, something happens. We have an event, an experience that is not pleasant and it can be a wounding. It can be a trauma. and. When I say trauma, when I first heard trauma, I thought, well, that's a little extreme. I don't know that I've ever had a trauma. Somebody died or murdered or things like this. Well, trauma can be with a little t. Trauma can be criticism. Trauma can be being gaslight. Trauma can be negligence. And one little t trauma that happens in your life is not going to give you PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome. But if it happens 10,000 times in your life, yeah, that's called complex trauma. And that adds up to be a big T. So that helped me understand a little bit. And so these parts of us are wounded. They have feelings. And typically, there's no adult in the room helping us make sense of what just happened. The adults are often (laughs) wounded themselves. And so we're left to make up a story as to what just happened. And usually the story is this, that hurt. This is a terrible feeling. Again, nobody's there being with us, explain or stand up for us or whatever is needed. So parts of us decide this is never going to happen again. Let's exile that part that got wounded. Let's lock it away. Let's get it so it never feels this again. And it comes up with some type of structure to make sure that that doesn't happen. Okay, so these are protectors. There's parts that are forced into the role of protecting this exile, making sure this exile does not ever feel this again. There's two types of protectors. There's managers that attempt to manage everything, which typically they would develop money scripts to help manage things. And then there's firefighters and the firefighters come in when the managers fail because these exiles, the wounding doesn't go away. The emotions don't go away. You can only lock things up for so long. And when these emotions get triggered or touched or something happens and they start ripping out of their container and the managers try to contain it and it doesn't work, the firefighter comes in and says, we are going to soothe the system. At all cost. So here is your addictive behavior. Here's your binge spending. Here would be the abusing alcohol, over 
COPD, you name it. And I said, sue the system because every part has a good intention. There are no bad parts. That is fundamental to IFS. There's no parts we're trying to get rid of. We're trying to understand the part, understand their role, because most of these protective parts don't enjoy their job. They're tired. But the whole point is to soothe the system. It's a good intention. The behavior may be self-sabotaging and not helpful. These are also young parts. They're like frozen at five years old, seven years old, eight years old. That's the understanding they have. So, for example, I had a client that couldn't save, made good money, professional, was not overspending, but just couldn't save. So we followed her parts back and we found relating stories when she was young, five, six years old, her piggy bank disappearing. Then she opened an account at a bank and all of her savings disappeared. And then when she was a teenager, the same thing happened again. Now, what might a young person conclude from when you save money and it disappears? Saving is bad. Saving is bad. If you want to benefit from your hard work, spend it now or spend it quick. Once we got back, and people aren't usually conscious of this, right? If you're conscious of it, you're almost halfway there to dealing with it. But usually it's a like, oh my God, I never realized that. Oh, and then IFS has a way to work with the exile to unburden them, to help them get rid of these extreme beliefs or money scripts that they've taken on. And, and the money script may be money is to be spent. Don't save your money. It won't be there. Okay, this is an extreme belief. But the parts... It's reality to the parts. And it's locked in place by this exile that was so crushed, felt so violated when their money disappeared. They had no certitude, didn't understand what happened. In this case, the parents took the money. One In one case, they went bankrupt. They put this all together later. So once that, that part can let go of that extreme belief and see wow, it wasn't their fault. Uh, this was reality of what happened. They can be witnessed, tell their story. They can become free. And once they're free, the protector goes, oh, well, okay. Since the exile isn't in pain anymore, I don't have to hold to this money script. I don't have to say, oh, we got to spend the money because we're spending the money so that exile wouldn't be in pain. Well, the exile's not in pain anymore. So good, I can relax around that. Oh, I guess we can save money, right? Because that's that's not going to set this exile off, right? It's not going to be it's not going to be in fear, like oh my god, we can't save the money; it would disappear. We will feel this violation again. I remember working with this one person, and two weeks later, where I'm talking about it, she says, "Well, saving money isn't a problem anymore." <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. You're not allowed to move this quickly. <laughs> and I, I say quickly because IFS is a very slow process. Very slow. You don't hurry through an IFS session, but you go, you slow down to go faster. So I can think of three clients that have been spenders that today are savers. One is saving five to 7,000 a month. 
that had to get money out of her account as quickly as it hit the checking. In her case, it was to get out of the house so she wasn't uh, physically and sexually abused and she had a job. And her belief was if there was money in my account, I didn't need a job. Now you're, you're going back to a 12-year-old mind. That would be illogical to us as adults, but it's not to a 12-year-old. I, got, I, can't, I have to be broke, so I deserve to work, so I get out of the house. And when she put that together, I remember she just lit up and said, my God, I have this part of me that's been keeping me broke my whole adult life, so I won't be abused. And she's saving five to 7000 a month. Wow. And, you know, as I hear that, it's not like she's saving five to 7000 from an exile part of her that is, you know, causing her to save it. It's, it sounds like it's intentional. It's, she knows what she's doing. It's from a self. From the self. Yeah. I really appreciate this, like the whole perspective of the, it's like asset building or, or we are enough. We've just been, you know, we have these exiled parts as opposed to deficit thinking. I really don't hear that at all. This approach no. is not like a deficit thinking. It makes me think of like the self-determination theory of like, I have agency that I can, you know, take control of certain things once I remove these barriers or exiled parts. Yes. So in IFS, the goal is to become self-led, right? So this is called blending in IFS when we're blended with a part. It's like the part takes us over. We got all these parts in the boardroom, right? And they take the, the YCEO and lock them up in a closet. And then it's all these young kids running the boardroom, running the company. So the goal in IFS is to help a person begin to separate from the part. And, and I can give you and, and the listeners an idea of how this blending feels. Imagine hearing this. Imagine hearing this from your partner. I am so hungry with you. What you did just so angered me. Now, imagine hearing it said this way. I have a part of me that's just so pissed off with you. It's so angry with you. And how does that land when they say there's a part of me mm -hmm. that's angry with you? One makes me think like, get out of here. What's wrong with you? Another one, when he said a part of me, I'm like, oh, what did I do? <laughs> Tell me more. Yeah, because that means there's some parts of me that aren't pissed off. Yeah. Right? Okay, that's an example of unblending. It's speaking for a part, not from a part. So when I'm 100% blended, that's the part talking. Wow, wow, okay. And I get blended all the time. So don't, don't, <laughs> I don't think there's <laughs> anybody that can be 100% unblended. I was, ooh, I had IT problems last week and I was blended at one point. So that, that's the goal is to be in collaboration with your parts from this self energy. You take in information from your parts. That's why we say we're not getting rid of the part. We'll unburden the part. The part may take on a new role or do something it really wants to do. I've got all sorts of really important parts. And on my best days, I kind of get counsel for all of them. And then we make the decision. So in financial planning, making financial decisions from an IFS perspective, the goal is to be self-led in our financial decisions. Self-led financial planning. So that's the unblending process that is key to IFS. 
I, I really appreciate this idea of self-led financial planning because if I rewind and look back at some processes in financial planning, it, at times it's not very self-led, it's advisor-led or it's what the the prescribed templated suggestions for your age group is led. As I'm sure we can start to realize, we're just furthering or not listening to or not hearing those parts of us who have been exiled. And I feel it could even cause even more exiled parts of us if like advisors skip over that part or don't even take in consideration that we might have exiled parts who want to be heard and we're giving them information they really don't want to be, don't want to hear. Just take the example I gave of the um, client that was spending, right? How does a typical advisor deal with that? Well, let's talk about it logically. Let me show you what's going to happen to you if you don't save. And, and we go about it that way. How are we ever going to get to the place that this is a part that was that suffered sexual abuse or suffered being stolen? I mean, we just don't have the tools as advisors to get there. And I'm not suggesting that every financial planner does financial therapy, but I am suggesting that we need to have a deeper understanding that when a client is locked or stuck in a behavior that's self-sabotaging, that they even themselves say, this isn't good, I don't know how to stop doing this, that it calls for deeper work Mm -hmm. to really help them make that behavioral change. And so until those exiles are healed, that pain is still there. And it, it drives the protector that drives the behavior. We're just not going to change it. And, and yeah, I, I agree. It's not like every advisor is going to or wants to have those skills. But I think it's acknowledging when that circumstance, like to your point, someone is stuck to realize that, okay, maybe my boundaries are here and I need to pass this client off for a referral as opposed to trying to use the logic approach, which... <laughs> but in turn, make us feel bad and even worse. And we go home and we think, I'm deficient. I'm ashamed. There's something really bad with me. Shaming people into change might work short term, but it's it doesn't work long term. And a financial planner is an important part in financial therapy. In other words, you can collaborate with the financial therapist because the financial planner can give the financial therapist the the overall picture of the person's finances and save a ton of time. And with the client, with the client's um, agreement, they can share information or they could collaborate if that, that is right. But the planning is still needed. The financial therapist Mm -hmm. doesn't do the plan. Mm -hmm. Financial therapists can just help get to the, the nut of what is really causing this stuckness so that the planner can now work with a client that's way more enlightened and freed up to be making some financial decision. That comment again about freed up or free is I feel like with the therapist or the financial therapist, psychologically, we can free ourselves up to some degree from whatever exiled part of us is not even allowing us to have this this feeling of freedom, like detaching ourselves from the money. And I've shared with you is before I started to examine my own money story, I, I had this belief that I had to always work and save and save. And it's not like I was saving a ton, but the, the rumination was always there. 
And when you talked about the little T trauma, I never thought I would have had trauma in my life. I, I thought, you know, fortunately, fortunately for myself, I was a lucky one who didn't have that big T trauma. But I was told I was shy as a kid and repetitively over and over and over and over again. And it wasn't until I started examining and doing my own therapy that I realized that that little 12-year-old mushroom cut Sean is still like petrified. And at some point he attached money. And I think it was watching hockey players in Canada because they seemed happy. They had big houses. I played hockey. And money was power of voice. And there was little things that happened to me. I got a good job. I finished business school. People like, good job, Sean. Like, look what you're doing. And that little part of me was like, yeah, people are seeing me. And I always thought it was called hard work. And so I just put my head down and kept doing it. My wife almost pulled her hair out being like, there's something going on. And and it was really insightful to see that I named him Mr. Shy, that it was just this part of me that really attached, like being seen and heard to money. Yeah. When you're talking about this, of course, I'm sorry, but I started thinking about myself. Yeah. Well, we can relate to that, right? And you you hit something really important with an exile because Mr. Shy wanted to be seen and heard. Mm-hmm. And every exile wants to be seen and heard. Now, the protectors are scared to death of the exile being seen and heard because that means telling its painful story. That means feeling those painful feelings again. And the protectors believe if this gets out, we will be overwhelmed. I mean, we've been working to keep this under wraps. And so oftentimes the protectors are not on board at the beginning of going into an exile because it's mm-hmm. going to that vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It's going to that place of pain. I've said before I knew IFS, we spent our whole lives resisting pain rather than learning to feel it. Well, those are the protectors. The protectors are like, yes, we're going to resist feeling pain. Are you kidding? This is going to kill us. Is that where some of the eight C's come in? Like when when you start to feel that discomfort or that pain, it takes a courage and almost a lens of compassion to start leaning into that discomfort? Very insightful, Sean, because what happens is the exile has this relationship with the protector, right? The protector is the one trying to make it feel better, trying to unburden it from its pain, but it just isn't working. The healing is in the exile to self relationship, or they'll call it the part to self relationship. So the eight sees the self is coming and saying, hey, Mr. Protector, I think I can help you out. If you'd be willing to let me go to this exile and be with in a way that it's needed someone to be, I can bring this energy to calm curiosity, compassion, courage, clarity, and really be with it in a way that you've been trying to, but aren't equipped. And usually at some point, the protector is going to say, okay, I'm very doubtful you can do anything, but I'm at my wits end and I'm tired. And yes, if you can somehow take the pain, uh, dissipate the pain from this exile, I don't have to work as hard. I mean, I don't have to do all this stuff to keep it from being in pain. So that's the connection. That's the, the healing connection is between the part and self. 
to make that connection or to move towards that connection to feel safe enough to go there, because like you said, there's pain. What do you suggest people, like say we're looking from a, a financial therapy or money relationship perspective, how do we start to get closer to that connection? I, I know in your one workshop or the presentation, you did this meditation. So is it through some mindfulness? Is it through journaling? How can we kind of tender that relationship that exists so we can bring some healing? The first thing to do is, is to um, try and be aware of these parts of ourselves. And we're usually starting with the protectors, the part that wants to spend whatever it is. And you can try doing some, some journaling with it. In uh, facilitating financial health, we called it the money dialogue, where you talk to money back and forth. Well, you can talk to any part back and forth. And you can start doing some of that. Well, tell me about this. It's becoming really curious to wanting to hear this part story. Now, I'll tell you, theoretically, you can do IFS for yourself. I've been at it six years. I do not want to do my own IFS. Even as somebody, as a practitioner, as somebody who knows this model inside and out, I look so much forward to my session where my practitioner is the guy. And an IFS practitioner does not give advice, does not analyze. They are there to facilitate this conversation between you and your parts. And I can just relax and say, okay, Michelle, take it away. I don't have to think. I kind of come back to this oftentimes with how do we get over money scripts? How do we really get healed? And my quick answer is always, well, do financial therapy. And so I'm kind of saying the same thing again. But we can start having a dialogue with the parts. We can start with, well, what's your hope? You know, like if we're working with Mr. Shy, whether he's a protector or an exile, what are you trying to accomplish by this or by earning money, the parts that were earning money? What's your fear if you don't? Those are two great questions. For me, you got to work hard for money. It was one of my money scripts. But what's your hope for working, working hard? What's your fear if you don't? Oh, I fear if I don't. I'll be destitute. I'll be out on the street. Well, what's your fear then? You know, you just keep drilling down with what's your hope? What's your fear? And, the, and that can be really insightful. If you just take your money scripts and you realize that you are not your money script, okay? That's unblending. You are not your money script. It's a part of you that has that money script. And then set up a dialogue between you and that part. So tell me, when did you first get that money script. Do you remember? Yeah, it was here and here. What's it like for you to be living with that money script? What was your hope with having that money script? What was your fear with having that money script? What else would you like to tell me about what your job is? And then you can always ask, was there a part you're protecting with this money script? That can often come out with the hope and fear, right? Oh, my fear is there's so much Hey, I mean, you just can't think of what it would be like not to do this. Okay. You know, now you're getting close to the vulnerable part. Mm -hmm. But I, I would say find an IFS uh, therapist and begin working with them. Now, I'm the only IFS therapist in the world that's doing this with money, right? That's because nobody can get trained, right? <laughs> It's only well, like two and a half years old. I feel like there's other but reasons too. <laughs> you can, there. well, it's never about the money, is it? Mm -hmm. 
never about the money. So you can always do IFS therapy with somebody just to get to the parts. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're a financial planner, you kind of have the money side. You understand that part. You really need the understanding of the, of the deep wounding, the emotional wounding that's going on. It just really sounds like this, this method, IFS helps us examine these like unexamined parts of us to help like nurture and bring it back to our whole self. And I like this idea of, you know, we don't want to get rid of parts. They're, they're, they're there for a reason. It's just healing them. And I think that's part of this becoming, like becoming ourselves journey that we're all on. And understanding every part has a good intention. And you talked about your critic. And I think that has helped me more understand my critic and bring gratitude to my critic. Okay, thank you. I get what you're trying to do. I think my most notable example is I was in the gym. I work out every day. I took off my gym shoes. I'm getting dressed and I put my gym shoes back on. And a part of me said, well, you stupid ninny. What are you doing? Putting your gym shoes back on. Shouldn't you know you should be more organized? And I just kind of stopped and I'm like, so tell me, what, what are you afraid of? Well, if people see you putting on your gym shoes, they're going to think you're dumb. And they're, they're, they're going to criticize you. And okay, I get that. Thanks. Now, who's in this locker room right now that saw that? Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> There's nobody in the locker room. This, this part's kind of like, oh. And bringing gratitude to these parts, they're not used to this. They're used to being trying to be drummed out of the system, made wrong. We got to get rid of you. We got to get this critic out of my head. And instead, understanding what the job of the critic, the intention of the critic was. And if you go saying, well, if this part was criticized and didn't feel shame, it's just okay. That was criticism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How would you be, Mr. Critic? How would you feel? Wait a minute. You're telling me if he didn't feel any shame, he didn't feel that he's a failure or he's criticized? That's not possible. But if he didn't, I don't need to criticize him. Yeah, wow. That's kind of how it works. That's that freedom that I feel like I was I was feeling you talk about earlier. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It, it's been one of the biggest shifts in my life, and I, I'm seeing it play out in the financial lives. Well, I, I see our time here, Rick, and I have been consistent in asking everyone this question, and I asked you it, but that was over a year ago, so things may have changed. But let's say now you're at end of life, whatever age that is, and you're sitting on a front porch looking at something that brings you peace, mountain, ocean, whatever brings you peace, and you bring out your notebook and decide to write a letter on what a healthy, thriving relationship with money is to Rick, what would you put in that letter? Well, there's a part of me that feels like, okay, what did I say last time? (laughs) You know, I, I want to thank it. I want to thank it for the role it played in my life for the support it became to me to be able to experience life to the fullest, to support me in uh, the therapy and the travel and the experiences and the connection, you know, money supporting me in connection, money supports me in connection with you right now, right? Somebody's paying for the Zoom link. Somebody's paying (laughs) for Mm -hmm. all the lights that are on, right? Mm -hmm. it's money. So that's what comes up for me. Oh, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Rick, where can people find you? 
I want to say that your podcast, I look forward to every week, that thing coming out. So definitely please talk about the podcast, your weekly newsletter, and anything else you want to talk about. Yeah. So for, uh, the Financial Therapy Podcast, not just about the money, you can Google that. We've got a, a webpage somewhere on that. Advanced-wellbeing.com is our the IFS Financial Therapy website. Financialawakeningsplural.com is the uh, weekly blog that goes out. It's picked up by several newspapers and advisor perspectives picks it up. I, I never know who's going to pick it up. So those are are some of the, the things. I got a book, co-authored book coming out on uh, couples, financial therapy for couples with an IFS, a little light IFS uh, bent in it that should be out in 2023. So those are some of the places you can find me or you can always email me at rick at rickkaler.com. And if I can help, I certainly will. Well, thank you so much, Rick. I know as I was starting to dip my toes in this side of the financial world, I emailed you on my like episode number six or seven or eight, and you responded right away, said, sure, I'll have a conversation with you. So you definitely are a caring individual. So thank you for all the work you've been doing. And thank you, Sean. You know, listening to your story at the uh, uh, conference was just uh, so moving. And uh, the presentation that you did there was just so unique and so well done. Uh, You bring so much to this space that I really want to honor your heart, your being, and what you bring. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for today, Rick. I'm on a mountain without a top. My wealth is measured and now I spend my time. But now I write a freedom story with every breath inhaled. Money is not the boat of life, it's just the wind in the sea.